Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with Bible teaching from Israel by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. On today's program, we wrap up our look at the women of the Bible in our series, She Shall Be Called Woman. But I found favor with him. And, and true success is not measured in wealth and power, but in the estate of one's heart. I've never been happier and more fulfilled. I raised him up strictly in the faith, and more. the law and the prophet. And now I want to give something back. I believe Elohim meant it to be this way. She's still a cornerstone of wisdom to the family. But you and are I always see. in my heart. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. Jeffrey Seif. And I appreciate you for taking these four programs to focus on some very important women in the Bible. You know, we're going to begin with widows in this program. I was a widower. Uh, it's really tough place to be when your other half goes on, you know, and uh, let's take a look at the book, see what we can find. And I appreciate that. And I'm sorry for what you've walked through and so many of our viewers, but we know that God provides special place and, and, and widows are a special place in his heart also. Let's go to Israel. For three years, the heavens were shut and refused to give rain, all because of this prophet. He met me at the city gate and asked me for a drink and some bread had none to give, only a handful of flour and some oil. But he insisted, saying Yahweh would bless me with an abundance if only I would believe. I had planned on baking the last morsel of bread for my son and for me. We were ready to eat our last meal and die. My husband had passed away years before, and I had no means of support, especially in the time of famine. But in my most desperate hour, God made himself known as my provider. His grace is sufficient for me. In the book of Malkim, Kings, Bible readers learn that King Ahab married poorly. He married Jezebel, a Sidonian princess. And by virtue of his marrying wrong, he brought untold miseries upon his world. Women were depressed, and why should they be happy? The men were miserable too, there was nothing to do. As a punishment, prosperity was driven out of the land. The water didn't water the earth. All there was round about was dust and dirt. No need make ready the instruments of harvest because there was nothing to be gleaned from the earth. 
And so it is, the men weren't working, the children weren't playing, and the women were miserable round about. Who would protect them? Who would change this abysmal state of affairs? Here's a Shomerah tower, a watchtower, from the word Shomer, where a watchman would be placed. What is this watchman going to look out for? Because in this case, the enemy isn't an army that would encroach upon his village. The enemy, or so it seemed, was God, who was withholding prosperity from his people. There's a vine that grew up against this uh, tower once upon a time, but there's no leaves or grapes, and why is that? Because life, in effect, has ceased. People aren't eating and drinking. The animals aren't faring well either. This is a world gone bad. Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, entered into this world. In fact, it was through his ministry that this world was brought about. Our story looks at Elijah's contact with a woman at the ragged edge of despair. Eliyahu was told to go to a village in Israel where they're right at the ragged edge of misery. And there he encounters a woman who's making ready for her last supper. No, this isn't Jesus in the Passover meal. This is a woman who Eliyahu encounters and he says, give me a drink and fetch me something to eat. And her response is, I'm about to die. This is my last supper. But the prophet says, listen, you're not going to die. Do something for me instead. And she takes part of her meager provisions. She gives it over to God, if you will. She gives it over to the prophet, the man of God, and her world is transformed in the process. This series looks at women. This program looks at widows. And we're going to see how in a world gone bad, God rises up and champions the cause of women who are hard pressed amidst the turbulence of trying times. Every kitchen has a pantry. Here's the storage closet for this home, but unfortunately it's not very well kept. Why should it be? There's nothing in it. In fact, the vine that just protrudes from it here looks as dead as dead can be. And that of itself bespeaks the nature of life here in northern Israel. Why? Because a drought has come. Well, so much for the bad news. People can start to look up a little bit round about. You know why? Because God has visited the city. In fact, the prophet Eliyahu came here. Amidst the turbulence of trying times, he engaged a woman. He wanted to radically transform her life. And what did he say? It was a strange saying indeed. A woman pressed to the edge of despair, preparing her last supper in effect. The prophet shows up and in chapter 17, there in verse 9, he says, He says, I've commanded this woman, Almano, widow, to sustain thee. The Lord says to the prophet, Go to that place because there's a woman there. And the word to her is that she's going to take care of you. Seems rather odd. Here's a woman pushed to the brink. She has nothing for her own cupboard, and her meager food staples now are to be shared with the prophet. Well, what happens is the, uh, the you know, Eliyahu comes to this woman, despairing as she is, and he has a word for her. We're told in verse 13, and again, I'm looking here at the uh, 17th chapter, 1 Kings. Vayomer 
don't fear. And isn't that what happens sometimes? We see our security drying up, we're at the ragged edge, and the tendency is to fear. In fact, the senses roundabout say fear. There's no rain, there's no grain. The only thing that's growing roundabout is pain and things aren't looking any better. But then God shows up. And when God shows up, things can begin to change up. We're told in the book to heal him in the Psalms, that he can take a desert and turn it into a garden, and that he can take a garden and turn it into a desert. Well, what happens here? The woman says, goodness, sir, I have nothing but these meager staples. And what does the prophet say? Take that and give part of that to God's service. And the net result will be that you will never run out. I love the way it reads as we go on in the text. In verse 16, well, what happens is the woman does that and, and observes a miracle. She, she makes a meal, gives some to the prophet, and gives and gives and gives, but the blessing keeps coming and coming and coming. What a great story, what a miracle. It's no wonder that Jews the world over sang, Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu HaTishbi, this prophet who made a name for himself by helping distraught women. Oh, would it be that others within the sound of my voice would learn that God cares about the widow, God cares about the afflicted. Here, in fact, as this woman keeps giving, she keeps getting. In chapter 17, verse 16, we're told, Kad HaKemah, Lo Kolotah, that the jar of meal, the food staple, was not spent that the cruise of oil was not spent. And this, this according to the word of the Lord that was given through and to Elijah. And friends, that's a word I believe that's given to us through the scripture. That is, inasmuch as God cared about the widow who served him. Now, I want you to hear me on this. In a world where women are abandoned by men, a lot of people think, well, I'm the man. Boy, I have all these women and all these kids. No, all that proves is that you're a male. Now, if you're a man, what that means is that you are going to take care of a woman. Notice, here's a woman who serves the Lord in response to which the Lord looks out for her interests. While God does that miraculously, I don't doubt. A moral in the story is inasmuch as he does that to the woman that serves him. So too, those of us that want to walk in God's footsteps, if you will, and follow his examples, we too are to be of service to the woman who's minded to be of service to us. It's for this reason, in part, when I go over to the New Testament, Therein, there's a book called Yaakov. Now you say, well, there's no book in the New Testament called Yaakov. That's only because you're not used to looking at the New Testament through Jewish eyes. And if you wonder why should you look at the New Testament through Jewish eyes, it's because Jesus was a Jew, all of his Talmudim, his disciples were Jews, and the story took place in Israel, the ancestral homeland of the Jewish people where I am broadcasting from right now. Here, Yaakov or James writes, and he says in chapter one, verse 27, he says that, Pure and true religion is to, among other things, visit widows and orphans in their affliction. Inasmuch as God does it, God would have those that follow in his footsteps to do it. 
And so it is we consider here the story of women in the world in general, but in particular, we want to underscore God's concern for women who are marginalized, depressed, and distraught. Let's get behind him and help them and abandon them no more. I remember when my first wife went on to be with the Lord after 30 years together, sitting down at my kitchen table. Friends and family had left. I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, my God, what am I going to do? Uh, letters started coming in, bills. I hadn't written a check in 30 years. She took care of everything. And I remember just feeling so alone and vulnerable. Uh, fortunately, uh, the Lord graced me uh, with a helpmate. Barry came on and we just finished seven years together. But I remember that experience of wondering, how am I going to get through this? I felt so ill-equipped. The same is true with ministry, I should say. That is to say, every month, whether it's a local church pastor or television concern, we go, how are we going to do this? You know, the rent's due. I mention that because the bills are astronomical, and sometimes you wonder, goodness, are you going to be able to find the resource you need to get on down the road? I, I wondered that as a widower, and I wondered that as a minister on more than one occasion, too. Fortunately for us, however, God speaks to hearts of people just like you. If you find value in what we do, please don't leave us alone. We need your extensions of grace, not to feather our own pillows, but in order to get this story out coast to coast and around the world, it takes a dime and a dollar, and we get it from caring people like you. God notices when you do it. Please do it, because we could use the help now. Our resources this week, Glory, the Future of the Believers. In this booklet, Zola Levitt explains the coming rapture, our time in heaven, the kingdom on earth and eternity. Call 1-800-WONDERS or visit us at levitt.com. Remember to connect with us on social media for so much extra content. Find us at Our Jewish Roots. This was the second banquet I had prepared for my king and the treacherous man Haman. I was chosen as Queen of Persia, but now the lives of my people and of my own were threatened with extinction. I did my best to select the finest food and wine for my enemy. He tricked the king into signing an edict to eradicate the Jews, but he didn't know I was one of them. I had already risked my life once by going before the king uninvited, an act punishable by death. But I found favor with him, and now it was time for me to petition for my people and reveal who I really was. Perhaps Elohim did put me here for such a time as this. For within the moment I pleaded before my king, Haman's fate was already sealed. the gallows. It's great to be noticed. It's great to be chosen, isn't it? Little girls grow up wondering who it'll be that they'll spend the rest of their life with. 
The concept of being chosen factors in the female psyche so very significantly. Not that I know from experience having raised, but boys only. But I know boys, and my boys are on the hunt, looking for that special lady, the one that will get their attention, and then hold it as they make their journey from the womb to the tomb. It's a great story, great to be blessed, great to be noticed, great to be doted upon, great to be counted special. People want it, at a certain level people need it. Some are blessed by it at levels more than others. Whether the object of pampering and attention, the expenditure of resource. You know, in the Bible, the Jewish people are referred to as the chosen people. And by association, the church as well is grafted into that concept. That is that God has his eye upon these people referred to as his bride, both in the New Testament sense, as well as in the Old Testament as well. His bride, his love, the object of his particular affections. Our story today uh, alights upon Esther, who providentially was brought into the king's presence and she secured his favor and her lot in life greatly was enhanced by virtue of her so doing. The king sees her, favors her, and we're told in Esther chapter 2, verse 17, that the king loved her above all women. He noticed that she was particularly beautiful. Beyond that, she had other characteristics that made her altogether desirable. And the net result, again, is that she had come into a fortunate set of circumstances. Some are more fortunate than others. Some are endowed with beauty in excess of others, or so it's perceived. Some come into financial means better than others, or so it is perceived. Of course, it's all relative. There's always someone more beautiful. There's always someone richer. There's always someone who's more powerful. Instead, however, of going after just raw beauty and raw power, the Bible asks a question, and that is, how do we use our influence? I never raised girls, only boys, but if I had daughters, I'd put the question to them, beautiful as they are, how do you want to use that? What do you want to do with that? And we're going to consider that story as we explore women and power in this series on women and the Bible. If God has blessed us, it seems to me good to do more in life than simply seek to be more blessed. In the case of Esther, Mordecai says to her, Umi yodea im le'et kazot. Dear, how do you know that God hasn't done this for you for such a time as this? If I understand him correctly, he's saying in effect, listen, you have found yourself with a favorable set of circumstances in life. Would you not do well to use your influence now for the betterment of others? This is preferred over forever, looking to absorb more and more and more out of life. I think this is the essence of what it is to be a genuinely beautiful human being. That is to say, someone who has power, they come upon it, but they opt to use it for good as they should over and against simply looking to leverage more attention, more things, whatever out of the environment. 
That individuals can be transformed in this regard is attested in the New Testament, as well as was noted just a moment ago in the Old. In the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, there's an Orthodox rabbi on a journey. Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul so-called, is traveling about, and he has not found it in his heart to be ministering in Israel proper. He uses his energies to invest the, uh, himself in expanding uh, the Messiah's kingdom beyond Israel's borders. And this, the apostle to the Gentiles, forever goes into towns and villages, and he finds Jewish synagogues there. And at such a time as this, he's in a place called Philippi. It's a Greco-Roman city, but he happens upon some Jews that are meeting. I want to pick up in chapter 16, verse 13, where it's a Sabbath, and he goes out to, quote, sit down and speak to women that were meeting around the synagogue. He happens upon one in particular, Luke tells us. A certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple. In noting that she was a seller of purple, this isn't underscoring that if you go into her shop, all she has is purple goods. Actually, there's an expression in, in, in Roman culture to wear the purple. This bespeaks those that have means. Wealth, typically it's an emblem of royalty. And this is a woman who's a seller of purple. She is a fine clothier and she's a woman of means herself. We're told in the text that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. This is a woman who's part of Jewish communal life in the Greco-Roman world. Paul, a Jewish rabbi come to faith, is sharing the message of Israel's Messiah. And here in a Roman colony, her heart is opened. A woman of means, and what does she do? We're told in verse 15, that she and her household were baptized. Of course, the mikvah is, is, is the ritual bath. It was uh, used for purification purposes in the Jewish world. Individuals were uh, immersed through the mikvah in anticipation of marriage, sacred days. And here now, individuals are baptized in the wake of their responding to the message of Israel's Messiah, the message that the Messiah has come. Now, worthy of note here is that this woman heeds the call and she invests her energies such that her family now gets caught up in her momentum. But not only that, we're told as well that in the wake of her being baptized, she begged us. Luke is speaking of himself and Paul and those in the party. She says, please, earnestly, she says, please, quote, come to my house and stay. She has a sizable home, she has a successful business, she has influence, and what does she do? She's using it. Could it be that within the sound of my voice there are individuals, women, men, and you count yourself fortunate. Others may well count you fortunate through beauty, through wealth, through where you are in the social ladder. Let me ask you a question. When is enough enough? Let me answer that for you, and that is that if someone really has the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit in their heart, I think we get to the point where the Lord would have us tap on the brakes a little bit. It's not about going faster through life. It's not about going further. 
one of the things that we learn from Esther and one of the things that we learn from Lydia and one of the things that we learn from salvation experience, it's not all about building barns and tearing them down and building bigger barns. They get to a point where we reach a point. When we're a child, we act like a child, we think and we function like one, but then when we mature, we put away childish ways and we learn it's about loving others, not just absorbing so much of it ourselves. I count myself blessed and ask the question, how can I do well in this world to serve God and others? My prayer is that you would do likewise as we consider the just and equitable use of power and beauty in this our series on women in the Bible. As a woman participating in this series, my greatest takeaway, I've got to say, is that we as women can use our strengths our gifts, our abilities for good. We learned, and you taught about Delilah, she used her strengths not for good, for bad. But we have the opportunity and power within us that we can do good things. Queen Esther used her abilities, everything that she had inside of her to save the Jewish people. Right, for such a time as this. Right. And I think in a lot of churches, by the way, uh, it, it's the women that in so many ways are the pillars. There's an old saying, if you want something said, talk to a man. If you want something done, talk to a woman. That in, in, in so many ways, it's the women behind the scenes to make it all work. I was, I was just thinking about our courting days, 33 years ago, it was all good and everything was wonderful. You really have no idea what you're getting into years later in marriage, but both of us very thankful that oh, we Oh, shoot, got I'm glad you got. went to a good place <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought, where are you going with you that? You never know. I was you don't know. if you were going to go to a dark place there. <laughs> I want that Proverbs 31 woman right there. You yeah. want it, you got it, right? Mail oh, yeah. order, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. No, we both did good, and doesn't it do your heart good? I know for me, whatever challenges I face in the world, and I do, I'm not wrestling with these relational entanglements and dissatisfaction because... God graced me with the Proverbs 31 plus. And might I jump in and say it does, it is a partnership. It does take two for, uh, we talked about Lois and, and Eunice and raising the children and teaching the children. Uh, you know, you always said it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. And we each have our roles, but we do it together. And that I think is where the power is and the yeah. blessing is. Yeah, I think it's important to look at roles too because there's so much role confusion in the modern world. And uh, young people are just, uh, uh, they're just not biblically aware and uh, thus the value in ministries like this. And thank you, by the way, for helping us to get the story out, really, all of us together, uh, to bring the biblical testimony to life in the modern world. We really don't hear about these women a lot in the pulpit on Sunday mornings, but you brought it to life in the series, so we thank you for that. Well, whatever's so in the book ought to be in the church and it ought to be on religious television. We need to tell these stories. The men, the women, the, the whole nine yards. Right. More stories next week. Yes. Another yeah. series, but until then. Until then, God bless. Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites. Visit our website, levitt.com for the current and past programs, the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. 
There you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Zola Levitt Ministries helps us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember, we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.